So in um, 2011, I got this invitation from Nicolas Sarkozy, the then president of France. Yeah, I know, I did the same thing, like, what the fuck is this? But it, but it, was, but it was in mail, so it wasn't like spam, like uh, a Nigerian prince. It was literally a piece of paper, like, this, this seems legit. Maybe they addressed it to the wrong person, but this is definitely Sarkozy. And he, he was inviting me to this event in Paris um, called the EG8 Summit. And it was a bunch of government leaders. Oh, do I have to start again? They're walking in. Government leaders and tech leaders, people like uh, Eric Schmidt from Google was there, and um, so the hoodie guy, Mark Zuckerberg was there, and um, Rupert Murdoch was there. Do you guys know Rupert Murdoch? Fox guy, News Corp, who, who, who um, got up to say something, and normally I don't, I don't agree with anything he says. Um, I'm the only person I, th I think I know that's more liberal left-wing than me is sitting right there in the front row. But, <laughs> and you know that was a, such a compliment to Oshin, like, yeah. Um, but, but he got up on stage and he, and he told this story. Um, he said, imagine a time traveler. Uh, somebody came here from a hundred years in the past and lands in Paris. What would things look like to that person? I mean, they wouldn't recognize any part of it. I mean, the clothes would have changed, there'd be automobiles on the streets, there'd be planes flying overhead, people on, on mobile phones. Not one thing would look the same unless you took them to a schoolroom where a hundred years later, desks all in perfect single file, everyone open to the same page in their book, teacher in the front row with chalkboard ready to write things, um, nothing would have changed. Um, this isn't the way it is for the music business, however. We, we've actually changed quite a bit, uh, thankfully. Thankfully, we're not the educational system of the world. Um, when I think about it, this was the year Taylor Swift, who at age 20 in 1999, or in 2009, uh, was infamously, uh, uh, what do you call it, St stage crashed by, by Kanye, who said she didn't deserve the award. <laughs> like, that's kind of embarrassing for a 20-year-old. Um, <clears throat> but think how much has changed in just 10 years. Let's not even think about 100 years. How much has changed in, in 10 years? Um, One Direction wasn't even a band. Spotify was one year after their launch, 10 years ago. Um, there was no Instagram. Like, what did people do? Just save up all their photos of lunch? No way to express it? Um, Facebook hadn't launched the like button or the tag. That was only 10 years ago. If we keep going back, oh, by the way, there was a little thing called iTunes, remember that? When people used to download music? <laughs> that was 10 years ago. And, 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 and uh, vinyl wasn't even hip. Who wanted vinyl 10 years ago? 
go back another 10, Backstreet Boys are back. Um, the web was only six years old, 1999. Uh, people were still using dial-up modems in 99. Phones were not smart. As a matter of fact, they had wires, and you would actually have to press buttons to make phone calls. Um, CD sales were increasing, going up again. And Napster hadn't launched yet. It wasn't until June of 99 that Napster launched. So no one was even talking about piracy yet. There was no iTunes, no iPod, YouTube, non-existent. And if we go back another, another 10 years, we have another amazing boy band. We've talked One Direction, Backstreet Boys, New Kids on the Block. Who remembers them? Shame on you. <laughs> we were supposed to forget they ever existed. Um, did, you, did you practice like the dance moves in your bedroom? One said yes, one said no. Um, no, but it's 1999. 1989, so a further 10 years earlier, no web. 1989, CDs were still new technology. New tech, it was only a few years old. Six years from the launch of the very first CD, but at that point, still new technology. MTV was beginning its ascent. And then if you go back another 10, Led Zeppelin, the final kind of swan song for them before John Bonham died. They'd put out the biggest album of the year. They were trying to save the music industry because at that point, disco had killed the music business. You know, every 10 years, something else kills the music business. Piracy, the web, streaming. But this was, this was disco. Disco killed the music industry. Um, it, it was funny because also it was the year that Rapper's Delight was released, Sugar Hill Gang. Does anyone remember that? It was a fad rap music, never going to take hold. It's not real music, not like Led Zeppelin. That's real music. Hip-hop's going nowhere. Um, there was no web. There was also no MTV. MTV didn't exist. There were no CDs. Cassettes were good, lots of cassettes being sold. Vinyl was the thing, so it wasn't hip or not hip, it was how you consume music. And then if we go back another decade, you know, we get back to 1969. Beatles are on top at this point. They were using the new technology of color TV. Color TV was new tech. It, it wasn't introduced until I think 1965, and then at, by the, the late 60s, only about half the TV was in color. Imagine watching television and one new show is in black and white and another new show is in color. Super odd, I don't know. There's only a couple of us that actually remember this, but, but that was the world, it was all new tech. And there was new formats like the album. Album was new. And 
FM radio was a, the new way people listened to music. So my point about all of this, sorry, I don't know whether to sit or stand. Um, the, my point about all of this is, I think we're sitting in an era right now where there's this amazing euphoria around the music industry. It is awesome. Streaming numbers are going up, 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 and for the next few years, there's no other way to go than up, up, up. It actually reminds me of the mid-90s when CD sales were going up. The web launches, CD sales are going up, and everyone was excited. No one wanted to look at what was next. No one could even imagine a world post-CD, post-MTV. That was the world we lived in. And that's what today feels like. It feels exactly the same, where no one can even conceive of what is a world post-streaming? What does that look like? What does a world of post-social look like? Or post-web? Or post-fan? What does this look like? Is anyone even asking the questions? Because if you don't, it's going to change again. I just showed you a whole bunch of slides that every 10 years, our music industry looks nothing like the previous 10. Or are we doomed to keep making the same mistakes going, we don't see it till it happens, and then we have to react to it rather than be proactive. One thing to, to be clear about is that all of the changes in the music industry, most of the changes in the music industry, I'd say, come from tech. Technology is what drives it. So if you want to know what's next, look at what's happening in the tech world. That will, that will inform you of where we're going. So let's start with some of the more basic stuff that everyone's heard about. We don't talk about data anymore. We talk about big data. Big data. And, and the reason it's called big data, because guess what? It's big. It's too much information for any one person to take in. You know, if you look at, you know, billion rows of Spotify streams, and then you go, well, that's a, that's, that's a lot of data. That's large. But then you go, oh, but who streamed it? What country? What device? What time? All of a sudden, it's so much information that it becomes big data. And big data is critical to understanding what's happening in the world. Our problem with data is we're still not really good at using it. Almost all of it is looking backwards. I mean, there's examples when we've used it well, um, like with One Direction. So remember, one, you guys all know One Direction, right? Uh, Harry Styles uh, and the other guys. Liam, Liam, uh, Niall, Lou, you are fucking hell, man. You know your One Direction. And then there's the other guy that quit first, the first one out, Zane. Fuck Zane. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to diss Zane. Zane's the so so so. Think about it. They were on the X Factor in the UK. As a matter of fact, Simon Cowell kind of put them together because they all went up as individuals and they no one got through. And they and you, oh, I have an idea. You guys become a boy band and then put them on the show. Well, guess what? They didn't win. Ollie Murs won. They didn't win the X Factor, but because they were looking at the data what was happening, they were seeing that, holy shit, lots of people are sharing this. People are chatting about it. Nobody really, I don't want to say they didn't give a fuck about Ali Murs, but they really gave a fuck about One Direction. So 
they use that data to inform them to say, we don't care who wins the TV show, this is the one we back. This is the one we back. Um, there's so few examples of that right now with data. You know, almost all of the data is looking backwards. You know, you, everyone has, looks at these dashboards of analytics, you know, what were my streams yesterday? What was my social engagement? How many people like to post? How many people click through on something? We're looking at all of this in the back and, and then putting it up in uh, graphs, you know, data visualization. So you see, oh, up and to the right, everything's moving in the right direction. This is just how we want it. But what do you do next? What do you do next? I mean, the music industry's always used data before it was big. And because of the use of data, it gave us actionable items. So, so for instance, if I knew a song was added to a radio station in heavy rotation, and it was being played you know, 20, 30, 40 times a week on a radio station, I could take that data and go, this many spins per week, I know what to do. We're going to press up some more units. We're going to put the band on television. We're going to, we're going to go on tour. And I can predict what their chart position is going to be next week. Really good at using data. Now, not so much. We're, the next phase of, of, of the music industry is going to start to get really good at using data to predict what should we do next. You know, I can't tell you how many people push and push and go, oh, we got on New Music Friday on Spotify. Excellent. So now you're on it. Now what? What do you do next? Nobody has the answer for that. Well, I don't want to say nobody. Very few people have the answer of what to do next. And we're not using data appropriately. We are going to start to, to really ramp it up and understand what to do with data. AI. Artificial intelligence. AI is not just something of the future of our music business, it's something that our music business today relies on. 100% relies on it. Starting with things like recommendation and search. I mean, think about it. Back in the days of the CDs, which is when I grew up, you went into a record store and you searched for music alphabetically. You went to the A's, then you went to the B's, then you went to the C's. Well, that's all been replaced now. Imagine searching for music alphabetically. Absolutely crazy idea. But the problem is, if you want to then bring music to, to people using a service, you can't organize it alphabetically and you can't even have a human organize it. It's too much. So you have artificial intelligence organize it for you. I mean, think about search and recommendation. How could a human do it better than a machine? I mean, I know a lot of people in here, they wish that, no, it's all about humans, curation. Only people can think of the right songs to recommend to somebody. But what's the new number at Spotify? 20,000 new tracks uploaded every day? So if you work at Spotify, are you going to listen to 20,000 new tracks today? And then know the listening tastes of 200 million people? And then be able to recommend something? 
Oh, and what about the other 30 million songs in the service that might take you 300 years to listen to? 300 years, if you didn't eat or sleep, just listen to every song once, and they go, got it, now I know what to recommend. I know what the best songs are. No human can do it, but a machine can do it really well. I mean, we've already accepted AI doing other things like Google searches. What do you think, it's a room full of people when you type in, they're like, ooh, let's open an encyclopedia and flip through. No, a machine does it. Artificial intelligence chooses it. You know, think about, you're, 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 you know, you want to get on a flight? Do you, do you want the pilot to fly this? I don't know if you've seen what pilots look like. Not the kids that, 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 are, that fly like EasyJet, but like those British Airways, American Airlines, those grizzled old, like 60-year-old men that wake up, just had a fight with his ex-wife about paying for the college tuition of their second son, and he had too many drinks in the Hilton Lounge last night, and then gets on the fucking plane. I don't want him operating that, making split-second decisions. I much prefer artificial intelligence to fly that plane. The same AI that does that is way better at recommending and choosing music. And I know that you love recommending music. You, I get your, your, your email every week. It says, these are the songs I've chosen just for you. But a machine can do it better. Sorry, not that, and, and yeah, well, we can talk about it. And, 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 and let me explain how it, how it can do it better. Um, remember I said we, we used to search for music alphabetically in record stores? Then, then we moved into the kind of the iTunes world where alphabetical search was old school. Now it's all about genre and then subgenre. So, you know, you had the iTunes store and you'd have rock. And then you'd have subgenres like singer-songwriter, death metal, you know, whatever. They're all under rock subgenres. And then you would all want to get on the main page of whatever that subgenre was and you could sell music. That world doesn't exist anymore. In the streaming environment, you don't go into Spotify or Apple Music and search by genre anymore. You, as a matter of fact, that's all gone. New Music Friday isn't a bunch of genre, or is your daily mix isn't genre, it's just music. And this is how powerful it is. What was the number one band last year? BTS. Do you guys know BTS? Korean boy band? If not, get in the program. K-pop. The year before that, number one song in the world, Despacito in Spanish. Why do you think these things happen? I'll tell you what, in an iTunes world, both those artists, and by the way, BTS, two number one albums on the Billboard charts. So, you know, you have like BTS, and then you have like Drake, <laughs> Kanye, you know, all below, like the biggest band. They played their first show in the UK last, late last year. They'd never been in the country. They don't even speak English. They don't sing in English, they sing in Korean. So they needed to pick a venue to play. They did the O2 Arena, sold out like that. Sold out European tour of arenas. And it's not Korean people going. Just get your head around that. There's not that many Koreans that live in Europe to fill up stadiums for a boy band. Um, 
Where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I know where I am. So, so, so in an iTunes world, BTS, the track Despacito, that would have been in world music. And I, I'm sure there's some world music people in here, and we love it, and who doesn't want a pan flute from Peru? However, <laughs> however, <laughs> once it's into world music, it's just a bunch of old white men, and that's it. <laughs> um, but because we've broken out of that, and it just recognized it as good, and something people wanted, it got recommended. So yeah, maybe it got in the first playlist because it was pitched to a person, but after that it was completely data AI driven. No human was touching it at that point. It was just showing up in people's uh, uh, feeds. Augmented reality, AR. Um, this is gonna have a major impact on the music industry but almost nobody's doing anything about it other than playing Pokemon Go. Not anymore. Who, who played Pokemon Go? Most of you haven't? Holy shit. Listen, people. <laughs> First of all, it's the easiest way to learn about AR. You know, it's, 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 it's a game. It's fun. It still exists. You're late but we won't tell anyone. But the idea is it's putting an interactive experience. It's, it's, it's taking a, a, a digital concept and putting it in the real world. Um, what can this mean for music? What can this mean for live? So play around with it and get your juices flowing. Um, mixed reality, do you guys know mixed reality? Um, it's, it's the merging of the real world and the digital world to create a new environment. So people are already doing this in work. Um, what's that company, the Swedish company Saab? Not only, do, do you guys know Saab? Not only do they make cars, apparently they make fighter jets. Who knew? Um, but they do. And I was in Bulgaria with the people from Saab, the fighter jet people from Saab, and now they do mixed reality to actually build the jets. So that it used to be people making the jets, you know, assembling them, and then there'd be manuals. And because remember, when you're making a jet, it's not like a car where there's an assembly line, there's not that many made, so each one is kind of handmade, kind of. So now they use these kind of goggles, headset they put on, which mixes this digital world of what it should be and could be with what they're actually doing, and they're mixing it together. But what could you do in the music space? I mean, yeah, I know there's some dead people coming back as holograms. Maybe that's a piece of it. I'm sure there's way more interesting ways of deploying mixed reality than just a hologram. And by the way, if you don't think this is interesting to you, then you probably will be replaced. You, if you think you're gonna interest the next generation of people by just, hey, we booked a 250 cap venue and show up and have fun, that ain't fun anymore. That was what their parents and grandparents did. 
So think about what you're going to be able to do. Then we get into VR, virtual reality. Um, has anyone tried virtual reality headsets? Yeah, they're shit, right? You, all the promise of how amazing virtual reality is going to be, well, actually, it's pretty shit right now. I mean, the things are heavy. No one's going to walk around with them. They give you a headache if you have them on for any length of time. There's just, it's just not a nice experience. And the creative ideas around VR are, let's do a VR concert. What? So I got to fucking put this uncomfortable thing on just to watch a gig? How about I just watch a gig? The point is, I want something virtual. I don't want the same things that happen in real life to happen with this headset on. I want to experience something that can't happen in real life. I want shit to happen. I want to like fly off into space and do things and have music swirling around. I want an experience that's not real. You know, it's like, think about when you do gaming, you know, I don't know, you're a shoot 'em up game or a driving game, you know, you crash but you don't die because it's not real and then you just get back on and keep driving. You know, we want virtual reality to take us on experiences that we can't have in live. Live is great, that can't be replaced by virtual. The same way it's not replaced because somebody shoots videos of concerts and put it up, puts it up on YouTube. That doesn't replace the concert experience and nor will VR. Concerts are concerts. Let's create new experiences using music. My personal favorite, everyone has to get super comfortable with this one. Blockchain, has anyone heard blockchain? Has everyone heard about blockchain? No, blockchain. It, it, it would be like in 1995 saying, has anyone heard about the web? It's going to change your business. And it's changed every aspect of our business so far, the web, everything from you know, ticketing to, 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 to music consumption to how we socialize. Blockchain will have that same impact. So what is the blockchain? Um, most people, no, I would say, who told me this? If you think you're a blockchain expert, you're wrong because there's no such thing, it's that early. It's that early that there's no blockchain experts. Which, which gives me an excuse to talk about it like I am an expert, because um, I'm not. But the idea of the blockchain is, it's not a thing. It's nothing. Oh, it sounds like a Seinfeld episode. What's the blockchain about? Nothing. What do you do? No, nothing. It's a concept. It is a concept, not a thing, right? It's a concept of having a distributed ledger um, that's autonomous and decentralized. And so maybe I should probably explain a little more how it works. Who took accounting in school? Yeah, that's why you're in the music business. Like three people go, I did, but I don't even remember. Yeah, all right, <laughs> fuck. I took accounting in school. And when I was in school, uh, the home computer hadn't even been invented yet. There was no such thing as a personal computer. So when we did accounting in school, we did it like this with a pen and paper. And there was a ledger. And, and what you would do, all right, let me think. 
how, does anyone remember checkbooks? Yeah, before you know, you just tapped and got money and got things. Checkbooks, right? So think of <laughs> checkbooks are kind of a subset of an accounting ledger, or it is a type of a ledger. And the idea is you put in transactions. You know, oh, I I I have this much opening balance. Then I wrote a check for some amount, and then you deduct it, and you have a new amount. And then you make a deposit, and you make a new amount. And the one thing about accounting is, if you make a mistake, because we do make mistakes in life, beyond accounting, we do make mistakes in life, you're not allowed to erase it. You would have to make an adjustment. So if you did it wrong, the next thing you go, oops, uh, adjustment, adding $10 back in because I, I, I just did my math wrong, right? If you understand that concept, you know the blockchain. You're now blockchain experts. Imagine that each of these entries is a block, and linked together, they're the chain. That's blockchain. It's a ledger. So, so it can be used for things like money. Anyone ever heard of Bitcoin? Anyone ever bought Bitcoin, sold Bitcoin, lost money in Bitcoin? Made money? Usually it's the same people. They're like, yeah, Bitcoin went up, I made money. Oh, Bitcoin's back down, I lost money. Um, <coughs> but it can be used for lots of things. It could be used for music. It could be used for a song. So, so that block doesn't have to contain a number. The block could say, here's the songwriters of a song. And then somebody goes, actually, there was a, an extra song member. Uh, an extra songwriter. So you don't change the original block, you just add to it. And then you go, oh, well now it's administered by Sony. So you add a new block to say Sony's now the administrator of it. And so and so and so, it's just a ledger. There's nothing more complicated than that. The complicated shit happens when you talk about it being uh, uh, not just decentralized but distributed. And this is where the security and safety comes in. So nobody owns the blockchain. You just create it, and then everybody has an exact copy of it on their computer. So that if somebody makes a mistake, or somebody changes something, everybody knows, wait a minute, you changed something, and it can be either verified and approved or not. So it prevents kind of cheating. Wow, blank stares from the music industry. Oh, no cheating. We built our business on cheating people out of money. I'm joking. That was the record companies, not the live industry. <laughs> um, well, you know who you are. Um, the other thing you hear about are coins and, and tokens. Has anyone heard of like coins in blockchain? So, so, so in order for the blockchain to operate and all these things, you have to do these amazing mathematical calculations that take an enormous amount of energy. So when, you know, when you add a new block, when you change something. So when one of those computers does that, bing, it makes a, a coin. That's called mining, right? You do these calculations, gives you a coin. It's different than a token. A token is kind of something that's just granted, but, <laughs> wow. I'm trying not to go too deep in blockchain because everyone at first had the blank stare. Um, but both of them can be used as currency. I mean, you can 
buy and trade things. I mean, what's the value of this? It's a piece of paper with some numbers written on it. The value isn't in the piece of paper of numbers. It's that people, people have faith that if I give this piece of paper to you, it's worth something, and you'll give me a coffee. So the same thing with, with coins and tokens. If you have faith that it has value, and somebody else will take it because they know they can do it, it's the same thing. I don't think I should go any deeper into blockchain, right? But trust me, you know, I could go, we could actually spend the whole day. There was a conference I was at in, uh, where was I? Malta. It was like three days, and it was like, I forgot how many thousands of people that only deal in blockchain. So this is a big deal. And just like the web, this is going to impact the music industry. 100%, get comfortable. You don't have to be an expert in it, but you have to use it. Like, you don't have to know how to program computers, but you better know how to, you know, use your mobile phone, download an app, right? You, know, you have to be comfortable with it. You have to be comfortable with the blockchain. So where does this all lead us? Fuck, I'm running out of time already. We're only halfway through. Are you still with me? I promise no more blockchain shit. Just computer shit. Um, so what is the world going to look like? What is the next phase of it? You know, I think we're, we're going to look at a, I don't know quite how to call it, not a post-pop phase, but I don't know. Did anyone see that Netflix uh, series, a uh, mini-series on Quincy? Quincy? Called Quincy? Quincy Jones? Um, if you haven't seen it, see it. If you don't have Netflix, get it. Um, you're missing out on more cool shit. Um, but in it, he talks about the same 12 notes in Western music over and over. How many more ways can we arrange the same 12 notes? He's already been asking this question. He's been asking this question for decades. And I think, if I'm quite honest, again, I don't want to piss anyone off, but I think the music has gotten a bit stale lately. I mean, I, even, even in my, I'm, I have a management company too, I manage a singer-songwriter who I think is amazing. But is it really anything new? Is it just the same shit over and over and over? How much more can we just rearrange the same 12 notes? You know, luckily, things like electronic music came along. I think that was a real breakthrough. The idea that people have abstract thoughts musicians. And to express that, those thoughts, they, they would use their voice originally, and then instruments, as of about 30,000 years ago, when we first find the evidence of musical instruments, up to more modern times with, you know, guitars and keyboards and all that shit. But now you have electronic musicians who don't have an instrument, who have a computer in front of them. And the idea of having pure thought go into that and having sounds come out of it is quite extraordinary. There's no physical manifestation of the instrument they're playing. It's just their thoughts, and then it's coming out of a machine. And I think that's super cool. But I think we'll go even a step further with AI-generated music. Because I think people are pretty good at writing you know, little ditties and pop songs. It turns out that machines can do it just as well just as well. And you probably don't even know it, but you've been listening to it. 
You've been listening to it in TV commercials, adverts online. Now AI writes the music. Because, let's say, they have no ego. It's great. They just, you, so you, you're trying to sell a, you know, I don't know, a brand of shoes, right? And you make a TV commercial. You shoot it. Now you need the music to go exactly with it. Not kind of with it. Oh, we'll license a Bob Dylan track. No, no, no. Exactly with it. And then when you don't have it right, you go, no, I need a little more emotion of suspense here. And then I want some elation there. Fine. The machine will do it in seconds or second. <laughs> Boom. Music. And it's already out there. Same thing with gaming. You know, so AI is already writing music. It is already assisting pop stars. You know, in studios, like I, I, I work with a producer who uses a plug-in in when he's mixing albums because, you know, people come to him and go, yeah, you know, I kind of want that, that kind of crunchy sound of like the And Justice for All album by Metallica, but kind of also that Miley Cyrus thing on the, and like, what? But you type that into the, to the computer, the AI, and it goes, I actually know what they meant because I scanned the, those musics. I see that. And then he has a mix and he combines those things and they go, yeah, that's what we meant. Wow, well done. And, and AI can start to suggest things for musicians because, you know, you get in the same patterns all the time. And so it can say, well, have you tr thought of this or that? You know, everyone types, right? Some, some people like this, some people like this, some people like this, but everyone types, but everyone uses spell checks, right? You wouldn't think, well, actually, no. I actually see people that surprisingly don't use spell check and send me all kinds of, but most people in this room probably use a spell check and that's fine, you know? And so, you know, think about Jimi Hendrix, you know, he took the electric guitar and the amps and then took that to another level, you know? And so, Wait till musicians really get in bed with working with AI. And what can they create? You know, if Pink Floyd were 20 years old today, before they did Dark Side of the Moon, what would that be like? And go, all right, what can we use to make music? What can we use to blow people's minds? And then I think what AI can do is actually bring music to regular people. You know, think of it this way. <clears throat> what did Instagram do for people and photos? You know, it allowed people to express themselves through photography. Before that, yeah, there were professional photographers, and yeah, right, we've all had cameras in our lives, or, you know, what were those, the, the, you know, even the disposable ones, you know, quack, 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 and click, quack, quack, quack. Remember that? And then you have film developed, right? So it wasn't like a big thing. But now everyone seems to want to express themselves in photography without having to learn what an f-stop is and focus on lighting. It doesn't fucking matter. But can we get to a world where people can express themselves with music? Or do they have to beat the life force out of them to learn to play an instrument for 10 years? I mean, what fucking torture we put children through Learn to play the piano. First start with scales, do, 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 you know, over and over and over. And then after like 10 years of that, you go, now you can create something. Like what if you could start creating immediately because the AI could do it for you. AI knows how to play an instrument. You know how to be creative. 
what would that mean? You know, what, I read something years ago um, about what age people are the most creative. And I was like, I don't know, four years old, six years old. And then we start beating it out of them. Like, no, draw inside the, the lines. And no, the sun has to be yellow and the grass has to be green. Like, okay, stop being creative. Like, learn to fit in. But what if we could take those creative minds and just give them some technology and allow them to express themselves? This is what AI promises. <clears throat> and what about a world of post-fan? I mean, right now we always think about the fan as the customer. They're gonna buy the ticket, they're gonna buy the album, they're gonna stream the track, they're gonna view the Instagram account. You know, they are the customer, we have shit, we're pushing it at them. That's how we define fans. Remember that boy band BTS? They've redefined fans. There are a self-organizing army called the BTS army. So the Orchard distributes BTS. And I remember coming into the office one day and everyone's like, who the fuck put up these billboards about BTS? It wasn't in our marketing spend. So whoever authorized that, you're in trouble because <laughs> we don't have the money for that. Nobody took ownership for it and we started Googling around. The fans did it. The fans said, we love BTS so much. We're so proud of them. Happy fifth anniversary, they got together themselves, said, how much does a billboard cost? 3,500 pounds. All right, who's in? I'll put in a fiver. Everyone put it in and they put up billboards around London. Gets bigger. Back in Korea, where the band is from, it was one of their birthdays. And so the fans self-organized, got together and said, let's throw them a birthday party. I wish I could tell you their names, because there's a lot of them too. It's not like uh, the normal boy band. There's like seven of them, eight of them. Like, I don't know, you, you know boy bands like, he's the, the cute, cuddly one, he's the sporty one, he's the bad boy, you know, all the, I don't know how many they have, but they have a lot of archetypes of these guys. So one of them had a birthday, and the fans got together and said, let's throw a party. What should we do? Well, how much does that stadium cost? A stadium. They got a quote. We'll take it. Everyone pitched in, and... They rented the stadium. The kid from the band shows up, gets on stage, they bring out, oh, this was his teacher when he was eight years old. This was his childhood friend. They, and everyone sings happy birthday. So th there was no money to be made from the artist or the label or the promoter, right? But the fans had such an experience. That rabid fandom, by giving them an opportunity to self-organize, this is the direction we're moving. Again, people forget how, how far we've already moved. Remember, it wasn't that long ago, that you'd get tossed out of a venue if you took a photo. No photos of bands, sorry. <laughs> I remember in the 90s, um, fans were posting pictures, not even live pictures, pictures of the Beastie Boys on the web. And the label flipped out. You cannot put an unauthorized photo. We choose which photos go. And the Beastie Boys actually stepped in and, and, and got their fans to make their website. Because before that, it was like, here's the promo shot, everything really controlled. And 
Again, camera in a venue, video in a venue, impossible. You might get arrested for it. Arrested for taking a camera into a venue. Now we encourage it. We, we encourage people to take pictures and spread it across social media. This is taking it a step further. But you have to create the environment that these things can actually happen. Post-West. In a world of 7.7 billion people. Who are you targeting? Europe? That's the rounding of 7.7. Throw in America? All right, there's a billion people in Europe and America. Well, and Canada, we'll throw you in too. <laughs> Sorry, Canada. <laughs> um, let's put them together. You still have 6.7 billion people. Are you targeting them or are you ignoring them? Like, if you were a smart business person, you knew nothing about the music industry, you knew nothing about anything, and somebody shows you a map and says, these are where the people are. Where would you set up your business? How would you target people? Oh, there's barely anyone over here. Yeah, let's go here. Well, if you're still doing that 10 years from now, you might be in serious trouble. Serious trouble. 1.3 billion people in China, 1.3 billion people in India. I remember I was in um, Delhi a couple years ago and I was talking to somebody in the Indian music scene. I was like, yeah, but there's no money in it, you know? Every, everyone in India is poor. And he was like, you don't know what you're talking about, which, which is a common response to anything I say. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and he educated me. He said, yeah, I get it. There's 1.3 billion of us in India, loads of them are poor. But do you know how many are not poor? The 0.3, the 300 million. So like bigger than America. <laughs> and guess what, what direction that's going? Next year it'll be 400 million, the year after that 500 million, as people are moving up in, you know, out of the dollar a day and into the, the mobile phone environment. That's gonna be a massive market. Are we thinking about it at all? Are you, are you, what are you going to do about this? I mean, there's 1.2 billion people that live on the continent of Africa. Do you still have images of, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago of what Africa is? Because it ain't that anymore. It's not. Nor is Asia. Over 4 billion people in Asia. And guess what they all have? These. So they're moving to become more affluent. Guess what? Where's the young population of the world? India, Bangladesh, Indonesia, China. Where are the old people? Europe, America, Canada. Where's the future of our business? This should not be hard. If you're not looking in those areas, you're missing a trick, a big trick. It's funny. I was in China years ago, many now I'm thinking I'm getting old, but it was probably more than 10 years ago. And, and, and I was giving this lecture to the Chinese music industry, and I was telling them about you know, the music of the West and the business, and I, you know, the 
whatever, the, the Beatles, and, and I see all these blank stares and weird looks, and I went to the translator, and I'm like, did you translate that right? She's like, yeah, the Beatles. I said, what do you think the Beatles are? You know, an insect. I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I explained to the audience, there is a band called the Beatles, like an insect. Who's heard of them? Nobody. They'd never heard of the Beatles. So if you're going to also go to those markets, they don't want our shit. They got their own. A matter of fact, when you think about things like BTS, they're sent, which is Korean, they're sending it, it to us. Are we prepared for that? Or are we so arrogant in our Western ways that we're going to rule the world? Or are we going to accept the fact that there's other parts of the world that have now moved up and may overtake us? And how are we going to respond to that? Because if you want to sell your shit into those countries, have you listened to what they listen to? Like if, if you went to China today and we played you five, six, seven, eight songs, could you say, what genre? What year? Is this from the 80s or is this current? Like, I don't know. If you're going to deal with people from other nations, are you going to write it in English? Because imagine I wrote your name in Korean or I wrote your name in Mandarin. Could you recognize it? Well, what makes you think they can recognize anything you're writing? You, you, it's not me. It's, um, this should have been the, the easiest one ever. We're living in the world of post-album. Why people are still holding on to this, I have no fucking clue. It was artificial when it started. It was only because of a way to make more money for the music industry, not the artists. It's artificial. I see promoters to this day, I oh, can't do a tour until, when's the album dropping? There is no fucking album. There is no album. I, I was talking on a panel yesterday and I had to explain that, that one promoter in, in the Nordics couldn't put a tour on, or an agent, couldn't put a tour on because there was no album dropping. And he said, at least if you put out an EP, I can do it. So what did we do? We said, yeah, no problem. We took the last three songs that we had put up on Spotify and we're going to release a new one and then we're just going to put a box around and go, that's an EP. And they go, okay, and then we can book a tour. Fucking hell. It's dead. It's, it's not what consumers want. What do you think? People listen to track one and, and, and spend their whole time with an album? That world is so dead. Unless you're an old guy that says, oh, I love albums. But for, for, for anyone under 20, who cares? Give me the hits. I think we're also moving into a world of post-choice. The experiment of the unlimited web in some ways failed. In some, we have to be honest, too much shit out there. I said earlier, 20,000 new tracks uploaded to the digital services every day. Too much shit. We need to move from choice to trusted. Who are we going to trust to give us just a little bit? Not everything. It's too much. Um, it was funny, I was, I was speaking at the International Radio Festival a couple months ago, and I have no idea why they keep inviting me, because every time there I go and just insult the music industry, because, or, or the radio industry, 
Because when I say about that we need trusted sources and we need curation, what I don't mean is radio. You know, who in the rooms bought a radio in the last decade? Bought a radio? Like, nobody buys a radio. So much of our effort is getting on radio. What's it doing on radio? Hey, if I'm going to book this show, can you show me the radio figure? Like, radio? Who the fuck buys a radio? Who listens to radio? And don't believe radio stats, because they're, they're lying. You should, you should see the questions they ask. Have you heard radio this week? And then some teenager goes, well, I guess, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I was in the background. And they go, okay, so you listen to radio this week. Like, come on, people are not listening to radio. Explain to a teenager, explain to anyone in this room, if you don't like the song you're listening to, Wait three minutes, maybe you'll like the one after. And if you don't like that one, keep waiting. Maybe they'll play your favorite. But after this commercial break where we're going to try and sell you shit, and then some DJ's going to babble on about some crap and nonsense, and then hopefully you'll like the next song. Fucking hell. Even without DJs and commercials, I was in, where was I? I was in LA last week, and I rented a car. I'm a terrible driver, by the way. I rented a car. Like, some people love driving. I hate it, and I'm bad at it. Um, and I had Sirius XM radio, you know, satellite radio, no commercials, nothing. Fuck, after about two or three days, I hated it. Hated it. I just drove in silence. It was so painful. Radio. So when I say we don't want choice, I'm not saying we want to go back to this locked-in radio format, but we do need an ability that... Somebody, something trusted can get us all listening to the same thing at the same time. That's really important. And then we're going to move into a world of post-social. So I keep not only checking my time, but my steps. Um, I need to get my 10,000 in today. Who's, who's got a Fitbit? Nobody? How do you know how many steps you take every day? You just count it? Your phone, I don't trust it, don't trust it. Plus this is always, on, so I'm always like, it sends me a little like, oh, get up and walk around. You could do 250 more steps. So I'm, I'm checking the time so I don't go over and I'm getting a few extra steps in. Where was it, post-social. Um, we know what's the, the, the dismal state of social today. Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, like it is not what it once was. Um, but if you think about it, think about the very basis of how social media works. There's essentially three components to it. There's the social media platform, there's the users of it, and then there's the brands that advertise on them. That's how they make money, those three pillars. So people go on social media, and then the social media company can sell that data to the brands, and then hopefully the users of it then buy the products and services from those brands, and you have a nice virtuous circle. But is that the future? Imagine a future where we take the brands away. Remember our, our blockchain conversation. Well, what blockchain tries to do is not to create a platform. Remember, it's autonomous. There is no business behind it. It's technology that facilitates things. So think about Bitcoin, right? If I want to transfer money today, and I want to give money to Margie,
there's a big institution between us called a bank. I give the money to the bank that verifies that I have it, who then sends it on to Margie and verifies she gets it, sends the message back to me, and the transaction was facilitated and maybe they take 40 euros for that international wire transfer. But what if we don't have the bank in between? All I need is technology to verify that I have the money and that Margie receives it. The technology can do that. Can technology replace Facebook and Instagram and Twitter? I want to message with my close friends and family. I want a little larger circle of people I meet and know. And maybe there's other celebrity or interesting people that I also want to follow. Can't technology facilitate this? Can't I have a technology to facilitate me posting a picture and my friends and family seeing it? Or do I, must there be a platform and a company that deals with this? I, I'm giving you the answer. I, I posed it as a question, but it's not a question. Technology will facilitate this. The same way that, that well, you know what? Before I go there, let's talk about it in a post-streaming market. I love Spotify. Daniel Ek, amazing guy. I met him before he launched, before, when it was a startup concept and he hadn't built it yet. And I met him in, uh, where were we? Monte Carlo. And he told me, oh, I've got this new thing. It's going to change the world. And he's like, it's a subscription streaming music service. And my response to him was like, oh, what's the big fucking deal? Um, I was quite wrong then. It turned out to be a very big deal. But, he, and he never let me forget that. Um, he could have given me some equity, just, I was one of his early supporters. Um, but what does a post-streaming world look like? Think about the blockchain. Can we have technology facilitate this? Do we, do we need Spotify? If you're a rights holder, can't I have the rights? And if there's a user out there that wants to listen to my music, can't they just get it invisibly? You know, think about how the web works. I mean, pre-web, this was an, a, a concept that you couldn't understand, that every person in the world could have their own business, their own website, their own thing. You could connect to the banks, everything, and it just happened seamlessly. But now I'm saying there's another layer coming where you don't need the company. You just need the new technologies, which will create new businesses, by the way. But new technologies to facilitate that. Do you need a ticketing company or do you need technology to you know, shout out to the live industry? Do you need a ticketing company or do you need technology? So I think there's going to be a lot of disruption. And then we get into, oh shit, I'm going to go super fast. Then we get into the live industry. You know? and, and again, I think experiential is going to be the most important thing going forward. In a world where we're losing all the spontaneous connections with strangers, when I book a trip, I use an app for my hotel and my flights. I don't go to a travel agency. When I do my banking, it's online. I don't walk into a bank. If I want to send a message, I don't go into the post office. People don't even go out to date anymore. They do it swiping left and right. We are losing all of the spontaneous connections with strangers. They're going away. And we're going to be in an isolated little bubble where we're only surrounded by our friends and family and like-minded people. And that is not an interesting world. But now you see what 
live can bring to it. When Glastonbury goes on sale and sells out in less than 30 minutes without announcing a single band, why are they buying those fucking tickets? They want experiences. They want stuff. And I think this is the moment for the live industry to capitalize on it. Because right now, if you're being honest, are you doing the least possible or the most possible? I mean, the least possible is book a band that we know can sell tickets, sell the tickets, shove the people in the venue, and get them the fuck out when it's over, collect your money. Are we doing the least possible, or are we creating experiences that are making people come back week in, week out, year after year after year? The festivals seem to be doing it. The venues, eh, not so much. But we're going to have to create all kinds of new artificial experiences. Think about something as simple as exercise, something that was invented in the 20th century. As we move from farms to factories to offices, we realize people were, for the first time in the history of humanity, not burning enough calories. That used to be, I mean, an inconceivable thought that you, you, you had too many calories. So we invented gyms so people could go work out. We need to invent experiential as people move online. And finally, post-web. This notion that Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon, and companies like that are, are necessary for me to do what I want to do is not the future. We don't need all the information on a single platform which they then turn around and sell. Shouldn't that be my information? Shouldn't it be my data? Now you can imagine in a blockchain environment, and I don't mean to oversell the blockchain, but it is going to be important in the future. Imagine that I have a sort of pod around me with all my information. What you can do with it, who owns it, which is me, by the way, you don't own any of your information right now, but I should own it. You have localized AI, so recommendations don't happen from Spotify. It happens locally. It's sitting with me, and only I know what's been recommended. And if I want to do something with it, I can do something with it. And if a brand wants to reach me, they don't go through somebody else. They pay me. Think about it. In that social media context, Coca-Cola says, here's $1.00 to Facebook so Facebook can sell something to me. Now I'm going, you know what? Don't give Facebook the $1, give it to me. And then I'll watch your advert. So the economy stays the same, they're still spending the same amount of money, but why are we paying Mark Zuckerberg? Nice enough guy, but he's got enough now. <laughs> and finally, I just wanna leave you with the last thought that these are what I call inevitable technologies. So it doesn't matter whether you like it or don't like it, whether you think it's good or evil, you know, in a black mirror kind of way. It doesn't fucking matter. This is the way the world is moving. It's like autonomous vehicles. I don't care what your opinion on autonomous vehicles are. I can tell you it's going to happen. I can't tell you who's the company. Is it going to be Toyota or Tesla or Google or a new company? I can't tell you the shape of it. Are they going to be, look like cars? Are they going to be flying drones? I don't know. I can't tell you the year it's going to happen. But I can tell you it's inevitable that we will have autonomous vehicles. And everything else I've talked to you about today is inevitable. I just can't tell you who and when and, and where it's going to happen. But it's happening, and you need to prepare for it. Whew. Thank you very much.